You're listening to the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Good morning, NCC. Uh, My name is Matt. Uh, As I said earlier, I'm the online and connections pastor. And like Micah talked about, we're beginning a new series where over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack gratitude. And we're here in November looking ahead at holidays, Thanksgiving, or Christmas um, that's coming up. And the reality is that for many of us, myself included, we may need help to understand gratitude See, if we look at worldly definitions, like the dictionary, it defines gratitude as the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. But when we look at those, there's a lot of that that's dependent upon us in almost the full sense. But what if our reality, when we think about gratitude, doesn't match the definition given? by the world. See, church, we don't need to look to the world for our definitions because we don't receive our definitions from the dictionary, praise God. We have a better word from which to pull our truth, our hope, our anchor, our alignment, our definition. So over these next three weeks, we're going to press into God's word together to seek what biblical gratitude is and hopefully make space to let Jesus do what he's been seeking to do in each of us for a while. So what is gratitude as defined by God? Here's the definition that you're going to be hearing from myself, Pastor Micah, Pastor Brandon, over the course of this series. Gratitude is the choice to respond to God's goodness shown or God's goodness expected. So if you don't get this once, you're going to hear it a bunch this week and next week and the week after that. But gratitude is a choice to respond to God's goodness shown and God's goodness expected, regardless of our past, our present, or our future circumstances or emotions, gratitude is a choice to respond to God's goodness shown or God's goodness expected. The goodness of God is attached to a person, the person of Jesus, and the truth of who God is and what God has done for me and for us or will do for me or for us. We see the truth of who he is as proclaimed in his word. Right In the Psalms, it says, this is a light and a lamp to guide our feet in our everyday lives. And through belonging with other followers of Jesus, as we are gathered together to read his word, to, to worship through song, through hymns, through praises, as we just did, as we proclaim his name, and then are scattered and empowered in our everyday rhythms and spaces, it's this choice to respond to the fullness of who God is. So this morning, we're going to walk through this in three parts. And it may seem weird because we're sitting and talking about this. And we said gratitude, and we're going to look at the story of Elijah. And it's probably like, huh? (laughs) And that's okay. Um, I love this story, and I love Elijah and what it teaches us about gratitude, about seeing the fullness of who God is. And we're going to see this fleshed out there. And so we're going to unpack the scripture And then we're going to respond together. And so there's going to be two pieces. It's the first Sunday, so we're going to take communion. But before we take communion, um, we're going to walk through kind of a responsive reading together. 
Um, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, but before we dive into all of this, let's just pray. So if you would, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, I ask as we gather here in this time, whether in person in this building or online, Jesus, would you speak to us? Whatever things we carry into this moment, God, would we respond to who you are as is laid out in your word, in the evidence and witness that is displayed in fellow brothers and sisters, Jesus, your Lord. So would you speak this morning? We pray this in your mighty and holy name. Amen. So our definition, we like to give quote from where it comes from. And so one of my favorite pastors uh, and really good friends, Pastor Brandon, um, kind of helped craft this and with Mike and myself. And so um, <laughs> I kind of warned him I was going to and like we did it. So gratitude is the choice to respond to God's goodness shown or God's goodness expected. So I want to break this down for us this morning. Okay, so it starts like this. Gratitude is the choice, okay, choice. Notice this, it's not an emotion or feeling, it's conscious behavior, okay? We are always, and this is from a guy who's very emotional and like feels deeply, we're gonna feel things, but it's this choice to respond. It doesn't mean, we're talking about it, it doesn't mean our emotions aren't valid, okay? But it's what we do with them, okay? To respond, okay? Gratitude is the choice to respond. Here's the thing that's really clear, and we're gonna look at two scriptures really quick. Okay, God is the one that is always moving first. And so this is really important for us because without him, I can't do anything, right? But we see over and over in his word that God is the one, that he takes the initiative. God moved first, not me. In Luke 5, we see this, okay? So this is Jesus. There's these two words that he's always, throughout his ministry, he's going, he walks. It says he went out and he saw this tax collector, this dude named Levi, and he says two words, follow me. Okay, so he says, follow me. He took the initiative. Jesus is fully man, fully God. He took initiative. And then look, like Levi, the tax collector, had a choice. And what does it say? It says, leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He had a choice and he responded to God's goodness that was shown in that moment. Okay, to God's goodness. Hey, let's unpack this. Okay, God's goodness. Goodness is who he is. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not what I feel about him in the moment. We're going to feel things and those set on just because we are broken and we feel. And then there's also moments where maybe in the midst of spiritual warfare, you just can't shake these fears, these anxieties, these doubts. Okay. God is good. Okay. God's goodness shown or God's goodness expected. These two pieces. This is what he's done in the past as we see from, from the truth of his word from the witness of fellow believers as we gather here, this is why like, we don't just want like, what's like the, the right answer. We want to also talk and be, right? We say we're storytellers because there's something powerful about sharing a story. This is this witness of God's goodness. Church, we miss that. When we don't let God use us as storytellers to give witness of him, then there are others that miss seeing God's goodness shown as displayed where it's not you, or me that gets the glory, it's him. But sharing our story is this witness of God's goodness shown, and then God's goodness expected, what he's promised to do in the future. Psalm 119, 68 says this, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes, right? It's proclaiming this. This is who God is. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, if you then, this is Jesus speaking, if you then who are evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then I think the most clearest, the most clearest scripture that can talk about, right, God's goodness expected, it says faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When it talks about living by faith, it means it's not always about what we see or if we're in it, but it's resting on the promises of who he is and what he promises he will do someday. So is what we hope for, what we are expecting, rooted in the truth of God's word and the character of who he is, not in what we see or feel in the moment. In church, like we confess that this is really hard. And for me, I have eyes and a mind that wander towards emotions that are very real. And, and hear me, right? This, in this series, this isn't just like, you have Jesus, go be happy. Put on that smile all the time. You got Jesus, just pull it together. You got Jesus, don't you know? Like, why would you cry? You got Jesus. See, we need to recognize these tensions of feeling, those emotions that are valid. And I think we want to live on these opposites. And so if you are one who feels is okay, it's a choice to respond in that. And if you're one that doesn't, God doesn't need you to make them stop feeling. God needs you to be a witness of his goodness and faithfulness that he is the one that perseveres and gets you through, okay? We need to stop this tension that says we have to be opposites. We need the better way. Gratitude is the choice to respond to God's goodness shown or God's goodness expected. So we're gonna unpack today this story that's in the book of 1 Kings. If you don't know where that is, it's before 2 Kings. That's not helpful. Sorry. <laughs> Apparently that's what the extra hour of sleep does to me. So, But we're going to see in 1 Kings, right, this goodness of God that's fleshed out in the life of Elijah and the people of Israel, right? This plethora of seasons and circumstances, these high moments that we're going to look at upon Mount Carmel, witnessing this awe and wonder of this miracle-working, all-powerful, sovereign God to then the depths of the cave on Horeb where Elijah is, is done, where we're going to witness the God who moves first, who is gentle, who is loving, who provides, who renews, who restores, even when our emotions and circumstances betray us, even when sin entangles us, God is faithful. Gratitude is the choice to respond to God's goodness shown God's goodness expected. So the prophet Elijah, this is like one of the most epic stories in the Old Testament of God's incredible working. He's going to have this standoff with 450 prophets of the false God. Now you're going to read this name and I've read it too. And I spent time on YouTube because I was like, what if I pronounce this name wrong? And I'm going to tell you half the definitions pronounced it as Baal and the other half pronounces Baal. And I'm going to tell you that However you pronounce it, unless you're like in a master's class and your professor is going to grade you on how you say it, it doesn't matter and you're okay and Jesus loves you. <laughs> so we need this Cliff Notes run through up to this because it's really important to see everything that God had done, this goodness shown to Elijah before he gets to this moment. So in the, in the text before this, right, we see 
God is sovereign and all-powerful and the only God in 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6. So Elijah gets his call, right, to proclaim that there's going to be a drought over the land. Now, this was in direct response to the false beliefs of, of Baal. Okay, he was, right, this supposed God of storms and fertility. And so declaring a drought was saying, right, the heavens would not rain, okay? So he doesn't have power because it's not going to storm and the land would not bear fruit, okay? So he's not the God of fertility. So this is a response to that. But then you see also God as provider, okay? This goodness shown in God as provider, okay? Because he, Elijah goes into the wilderness and says the Lord feeds him by ravens. And then he goes and is sent to this widow and she has like nothing in her house, but God multiplies it and makes food for her, her household, and for Elijah. God is provider. Then we see God as healer and life giver. The widow's son gets sick and dies. And Elijah, right, on behalf of God, has this miraculous healing, and he brings the widow's son back to life. You see God is healer and life giver. Then we see right before, um, right, Elijah's going to have this standoff on Mount Carmel. We see that God is merciful, God is for all, and God uses all according to his purposes. So there is this King Ahab and this Queen Jezebel, and they were just like wicked. They were evil, right? They were killing the prophets of the Lord. They had a dude in their household that was their servant, Obadiah. He was the head of the household, okay? So his affiliation was with this wicked household. And yet it says that he greatly feared the Lord and they actually took and hid these prophets. And so what we see in this is that his affiliation with this didn't stop him from fearing the Lord or being used by God. It says he was working from God's goodness to be a participant in offering that to others. He hid a hundred prophets of the Lord and fed them with water. It would have been easy to look at that to say, because you're working in this household, because you're affiliated with this, in our context, like this political party, you are the summation of that party, but that's not how the kingdom of God works. And when you see this, God is merciful, God is for all, and God uses all and any according to his purposes. So all of these things set us up for Elijah's arrival at Mount Carmel and this standoff with these false prophets where he's going to confront the idolatry of the land and show the greatness and goodness of God. So we are going to read this narrative together. It's going to be a lot, and that's okay. Um, we're going to, I'm going to read that for us. So this is in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 20, and we're going to go through verse 39. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. 
but there is no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, and perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, like, listen to this. Remember, they're in a drought. It has not rained. Water is this scarce, expensive commodity. Listen to the audacity of what Elijah says. He says, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. To get his point across, right? When I start a fire, I don't pour water on it. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and, let, and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord he is God. The Lord, he is God. This wonderful display of God's goodness and his power and might and deliverance to show that he is sovereign, that he is the only God and that he comes through. And it's followed in 1 Kings 18, 45. It says, in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. The drought is no more. Again, God's goodness and who he is, that he is the one that can make the heavens open. And Elijah witnessing this wondrous display of God's goodness in the following verses, it says the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He was in this mountaintop moment, and We've been there too at times where we've been obedient, we've experienced it, we've gotten there, we've done it. The question is, have we? God has and he will. Gratitude is the choice to respond to God's goodness shown or God's goodness expected. And that first part was easy. Like if I saw fire fall from heaven, 
I'd be so grateful. That's the good stuff. But what about God's goodness expected? Expected means it isn't here yet. We're not on the mountaintop now. And I think for some of us, that might be where we are. And if you've been tracking even in this, you say you talk about all this of who God is, of what he's done. So let's look at this next section. Remember everything that Elijah has witnessed, the way that God has displayed his goodness. And it turns, he runs because Jezebel, the queen, threatened to take his life. She said she was going to kill him. And it wasn't an idle threat because she had taken the lives of other prophets. 1 Kings 19.3 says this. It says, Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah, overwhelmed by his emotions. I remember he just watched God do this wondrous, miraculous he watched God deliver fire from heaven, provide rain for a scorched land, and then Jezebel declares a threat on his life, and Elijah flees. His emotions move him from trust in the goodness of the God that he had been delivered to this fear of the earthly power that threatened to destroy him. And overwhelmed, Elijah says he is done. It's hard to expect God's goodness in our finite and human brokenness when goodness feels so far out of reach. And Elijah journeys into the wilderness and he sits beneath a tree and he says, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. And Elijah lays down and slept. And see, God in his sovereignty, in his righteousness, in his goodness, he sends an angel to give him food which is just wondrous. God in that moment of showing up, he doesn't rebuke Elijah, though how right that would seem to be, right? Oh, you have little faith. You fled, you ran. Don't you remember who I am, what I've done? God does not cut off. He doesn't say, Elijah, you turned your back on me. He feeds Elijah food. He prepares him and strengthens him before sending him to Horeb. It's called the Mount of God. And here, after witnessing God in all his powerful display on Mount Carmel, God meets with Elijah in a different way. Listen to this, verse 11. And he said, this is right, the word of the Lord speaking, says, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, God is not just the God whose goodness is displayed in the magnificent and wondrous, tangible and physical acts. He is the God whose goodness is displayed in the still and low whispers of his faithfulness, his promises, his presence. And as Elijah twice declares and answers the question, what are you doing here? 
Elijah says, I've been very jealous for you. I'm the only one left. And now these others are seeking to take my life. God in his goodness just calls Elijah in obedience to keep following him. When we'd want God's response to be like, stay here, Elijah. I'll make a safe place. I'll build you this citadel. I'll remove all your fears. I'll promise no one will hurt you. God says, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Elijah had witnessed all these giant moments of God's goodness displayed in physical, tangible, miraculous ways. And now God is trying to get through that he isn't just good because of these giant displays. That's not the sole reflection of God and his goodness. So therefore, gratitude, church, is not just responding to giant displays of physical goodness. Gratitude is also a choice to respond to the quiet, to the still, to the ever-present God who is with us. When darkness is still surrounding because I know God is with, do I choose to respond because of his withness, his presence, and that it is just as good as whatever physical display of earthly deliverance I may long for. Gratitude is the choice to respond to God's goodness shown or God's goodness expected. It's no wonder that here, as we look ahead to these months in this holiday season, we're going to either find ourselves on the heights of Mount Carmel, navigating the holidays with joy, feeling safe, feeling set, feeling secure, when gratitude would seem to come naturally because we are in the shown goodness of God. But maybe we wonder because we hold the pain of empty place settings. Because we're anxious about what fights might break out at our dinner tables this holiday season. We hold the reality of dark winter nights alone, struggling to glimpse the expectation of God's goodness that is yet to come. And gratitude is our hearts choosing to say, despite what my emotions and circumstances may dictate, you are good, you are God, and you are with. You see, the same God who did not abandon Elijah in the wilderness, but fed him, prepared him, and met him, is the same God whose goodness is overflowing to you. He's with you in the longings of this holiday season. He did not abandon then, and he will not abandon now. The enemy says, believe the lie that God does not care. But we confess this morning that God's goodness is not found only in the might of Mount Carmel, but in the quiet whisper in the cave. We want that big display, the physical manifestation of God's power and goodness. But it isn't strange that when God the Father sent his son Jesus it was in the form of a tiny baby in a manger. This low whisper, the awe and wonder that the God who created the cosmos, the heavens and the earth would enter into it to put on flesh in the most unlikely of places. See, it's only the goodness of God that could compel Stephen in the book of Acts to worship and praise as he is literally being stoned to death. God's goodness is displayed in James, the brother of John, being martyred after being thrown in prison in Acts 12, followed by Peter being delivered from prison in the next verses. See, God's goodness was the quiet whisper that he was with James as James breathed his last 
breath on this earth and entered into the presence of Jesus. And God's goodness was the physical display of earthly deliverance when the angel of the Lord woke Peter from the prison cell and delivered him from his captivity. The same God who rains down fire from heaven is good when he shows up in a still, small whisper, tending the heart needs of his beloved. How God shows his goodness may look like fire from heaven or like a tender whisper in the night, but he is still good. He is God. It is who he is. And so we cry, I believe. Help my unbelief. So where do we go from here? The church, I believe that we can only know what God's done in the past or what he has promised to do in the future if we spend time with his word and with his people. See, the, the people of Israel, as they would go on their journey to worship, uh, they would proclaim songs together. There's a certain set of psalms called the Songs of Ascents. This is Psalm 120 through 134, and this grouping is thought to have been used as they move towards worship in Jerusalem, towards the temple. And this progression moves from this concept of repentance that is seen in Psalm 120. So there's this Hebrew word, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, it's this Hebrew word, teshubah. It's this idea of turning from the ways of the world toward the ways of God. It's making a choice to respond to God's goodness from whatever mountain or valley we find ourselves on. And so Psalm 120 begins with this concept, but then it moves in Psalm 134 to this call of thanksgiving. This Hebrew word is baraka. Listen to what Pastor Eugene Peterson says here explaining this movement. He says, it describes what God does to us and among us. He enters into covenant with us. He pours out his own life for us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, the joys of his redemption. He empties himself among us and we get what he is. That is blessing. When the first word is teshba, the last word is baraka. God gets down on his knees among us, gets on our level and shares himself with us. He does not reside afar off and send us diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. The discovery and realization of this is what defines what we know of God as good news. God shares himself generously and graciously. See, this word baraka in Hebrew in the Old Testament, it moves to the Greek. This word for gratitude in the Greek is eucharistos. And so if you see this, you may recognize that this is the root from which we get the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion. Repentance and confession leads to gratitude and thanksgiving, which is centered around one and one only, Jesus. And so today we're going to move. I was sitting this week as um, just in preparation for this, and as I was just sitting in the quiet, I was trying to ask, God, what do you need for us, the North Canton Chapel, to remember, to turn from, back to you? And so we're going to start before we move to communion with this reflective reading. As I just sat with, these are just a few of the things that God just laid on my heart for us to confess together, to turn our hearts to him, to who he is, to what he has done And then we're going to share communion. For those of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're going to take and we're going to give thanks for what he has done, the fullness, 
of God's goodness displayed upon the cross where our Savior died to bear our sins that we might have new life in him. So before we take communion, I'm going to invite, if you're able to stand, um, if you would, just stand with me now. And I'm going to lead us through a responsive reading. And so you'll say this one line here, and uh, we're going to teach it to you. And we'll say this together in response to each of these lines that I'm going to read and guide us through. And so this is the idea of turning from the ways, the emotions, the valleys, the mountains we find ourselves on into the ways and the presence of God. So let's practice reading this together. We confess God is with us. The Father loves us. The Son redeems us. The Spirit empowers us. When the wounds of the religious cause me to doubt brothers and sisters in Christ, may God lead me beside gentle waters and cause me to rest in the green pastures as only the great shepherd can, restoring my soul. We confess God is with us, the Father loves us, the Son redeems us, the Spirit empowers us. When the allure of pride in my own knowing or doing seeks to draw me away from the shared table of fellow and process brothers and sisters, may God remind us that we are called to forgive one another, bear with one another, and pray for one another. We confess God is with us, the Father loves us, the Son redeems us, the Spirit empowers us. When the fear or anxiety of what is to come wells up in my soul, when sadness overwhelms my heart, when loneliness isolates me from presence of others, may God remind us that Emmanuel is God with us as the Prince of Peace. We confess God is with us, the Father loves us. The Son redeems us. The Spirit empowers us. When the trials and darkness of the valley and the battle and storm swell to heights beyond our strength to face, may God remind us that we are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not destroyed. We do not lose heart because God renews us day by day. We confess God is with us. The Father loves us. The Son redeems us. The Spirit empowers us. When the toll of political pressure, job performance, theological prowess, or self-made gain seeks to place us on a foundation other than Christ, may God remind us that we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. We confess God is with us. The Father loves us, the Son redeems us, the Spirit empowers us. When the tensions of relational strife rear up at holiday times, may God remind us that faithfulness is being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. May God remind us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, and my worth is not in a defense of what I can do, but witness of what he has already done. We confess God is with us, the Father loves us, the Son redeems us, the Spirit empowers us. When the place setting is empty, when my heart aches, when my tears have been cried too many times, when the nights are long, may God remind us that Jesus wept 
and that he now whispers in our pain and embraces us as a good father, giving comfort through his spirit in our lament and longing and waiting. We confess God is with us. The father loves us. The son redeems us. The spirit empowers us. When my earthly circumstances don't hold and I doubt whether goodness can ever be found, may God remind us that his promise is in the day to come when every former pain will pass away. No more sickness, crying, or pain. And he will make all things new. We confess God is with us. The Father loves us. The Son redeems us. The Spirit empowers us. When we don't even know what to say, do, or next step to take, may Jesus remind us that he intercedes on our behalf before the throne of God the Father. We confess God is with us. The Father loves us. The Son redeems us. The Spirit empowers us. We praise you, O God. Your goodness is always before us. We praise you, O God. You have redeemed us from our sin. We praise you, O God. You have given us all we need. We praise you, O God. All the glory and honor and praise is yours. We praise you, O God. You will hold us fast. You may be seated. We're going to move to sharing the Lord's Supper together as time of communion. So the deacons are going to come forward and prepare to serve us. Um, as I said before, this is this moment of thanksgiving for those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to take, to take this cup, to drink this juice, to proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so if that isn't you, if you have not personally confessed him, chosen to surrender your life, to repent of your sin, I just ask that you would let the tray pass. So the deacons are going to serve us. There's this double cup. The bread is in the bottom and the juice is on top. And so as you get that, if you will just hold on to that and just like pray as they're serving, and then I will come back up and I will lead us through. So remember, take, hold it, and then I will guide us through. So deacons, if you'll serve us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.